Welcome to another episode of Pod for Good, a podcast where we talk with those trying to make Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the world a better place for you, for us, for everybody. Our intro is going to be a little different this time because this episode is very timely and I want to get it out as quickly as possible. I don't want to give myself more ads to do. As always, I'm your chief, chief philanthropod and class clown for education, Jesse Orch. And I'm your Vice Admiral Philanthropod and also Class Clown for Education, Chris Miller. And today our guest is Ana Barros, a 7th grade geography teacher, as well as one of the leaders in the Protect TPS movement. We talked to Ana about the ongoing situation with Tulsa Public Schools, how you can help, and why 7th graders are actually toddlers. I learned a lot about 7th graders today. And so listen to this. Go to protecttps.com, uh, check them out on Instagram, and keep watch to the Pop for Good Facebook page for announcements about uh, a student-led rally happening this Saturday. So with that, we go right to the interview. We are very excited to have Anna on the podcast today, part of the Protect TPS movement slash organization. So real briefly, this is August 14th here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we are in the middle of a fight over uh, what, what would you have this fights over exactly? I believe it's over the future of our school district. So can you, for our listeners, give us a brief rundown of like what's happened over the past? Like I'd say, I mean, it's been a multi-year fight here, but the last like mm-hmm. three months, I feel like it's been a very intense fight over what, what some people think are a particular set of facts and what people think are just pl- politically motivated pulling of particular facts. So I like to, Always start with explaining what accreditation is. I think that's a really crazy word that I don't always know how to spell. But the way that I explain it always is every school district, every public school district in the United States has to prove to their governing body that they have the right paperwork, that they are following the right procedures, that they are following all the laws that allow them to be a school district, right? So every year, um, big school districts have to submit accreditation paperwork to the state, right? So that means like, do do your teachers have the right certifications? Have you been like following the free reduced lunch guidelines? Have you, right? Like essentially, are you doing sort of the due diligence of being a school district? What's important to know is that accreditation is not connected at all to the quality of the education, right? And you can have all the feelings you want about that. And I certainly do as a teacher, but at the end of the day, you being able to remain a school district has little to do with how you perform as a school district, right? Um, And as an aside also, it's important to remember that the metrics for the performance of schools is also like highly subjective and not always equitable. So what's been happening in with Tulsa Public Schools is that last year when TPS submitted their paperwork for accreditation, they were docked on their accreditation as a result of a HB 1775 violation, right? So they lost. So there's basically like different levels. Another thing that's important is that there are levels to your accreditation. So it's not like you have it or you don't. It's basically like a like a scale, right? So it's like accreditation with one deficiency, accreditation with probation, right? There's like four or five different levels before you actually get to the part where you like have no accreditation. I believe a year ago, they went down one this year, or maybe it was like a year before that, something like that. Um, But then there was the issue with the embezzlement that occurred um, with the 
the person in TPS who stole all that money. They reported it to the FBI. They're doing an internal investigation. Either way, that like led to right like a lowering of the accreditation, as well as two other things. So this kind of this summer, the this kind of go of it, TPS lost points on like three different things. It was the embezzlement. It was the um, there were there was one school where a few of the teachers didn't have the right certification for what they were teaching. Um, and then there was a late report that was a week late to be submitted. So the recommendation from the accreditation board, because by the way, there's like a, a, a body whose job it is to review this paperwork, is to award TPS an accreditation with a deficiency. So, right, like it's not perfect, um, but we're like still going to be accredited. What the state superintendent is intending is to drastically drop us on that scale either down to what we call accreditation um, with probation or down to being like entirely unaccredited. So those are sort of the two main options that are on the table that are scaring a lot of people. To explain what accreditation with probation means, it means that, so if that's like where we fall, it means that the State Department of Education has the power to then remove the superintendent and initiate a state takeover. So what that means is that um, our state superintendent could like take away our current superintendent's license. So that would be Dr. Gist um, and install a new superintendent. Um, and that person would be handpicked and would not truly be controlled by the school board. So people may not know this, but superintendents are hired by our elected school board, right? So they're not voted into being the position of a superintendent, but they are chosen by people we vote in. Um, so if we are at a probation level, then that means that that would be an option on the table is for her to be removed. The other option on the table is to completely lose accreditation, which would mean that the state Department of Education has the power to fully dissolve the district, which means that TPS students would have to be bused to surrounding districts. Um, charters would be on the chopping block, um, all sorts of things. And then there's also not a lot of clarity over whether even those things are true um, because there's kind of competing information. Um, but if you are someone who's been keeping up with the news of what's happening in Houston, just to kind of provide context, what happened in Houston was the first option, was the probation. They removed the superintendent. And that was after a legal battle. Chris and I try very hard to try to view the situations we talk about with a view that like both sides, there are people on both sides of most issues who do actually care about the things they're mm -hmm. saying and doing and not doing it just for, you know, whatever the lulls, as the kids say, what is there truly any argument that TPS is failing so badly? It needs to be taken over by the state. It is funny to me that I'm sitting here in this room. I've had to definitely reflect on this. Am I really like finding myself protecting TPS after spending so many years, right? Like having very, very, very serious issues with a lot of the decisions that have been made, especially for communities that look like me, for black and brown children um, historically and currently. I think there is 100%, I 100% empathize with anybody who is like, man, something drastic needs to happen because I, <laughs> yeah. I, I absolutely agree. Two things that come to mind when I think about that in regards to what's happening right now. First, as I said before, accreditation has nothing to do with performance of schools. Um, I think that 
many, many, many community members for many, many years, and even Dr. Gist herself, right? We have been asking for money and resources in this catastrophically low budget, right? Like low education budget state that we're in. And that is just heartbreaking to know that there are so many incredible people who have been advocating and have been begging for the state to increase per pupil funding, to increase, right? Like to bring in federal grants for students with special needs, to pay teachers literally at all, right? Like, um, and then somebody comes in without a plan and says, we need to take over and shake things up but we're not going to involve anybody who actually lives there, right? A lot of the voices right now that I'm hearing when I go to Oklahoma City and go to the State Board of Education are people who have never stepped foot in a TPS classroom and are saying, we need to shake things up because those public schools need needs help. Yes, yes, yes. But do you have a plan? Do you know what our students need? Have you asked a single kid, have you asked a single parent what it's like to actually go to a school um, and have you involved them in the solutions? So that's what's really frustrating is I think we can all agree that Tulsa Public Schools needs a lot of support. We are a majority low income district, right? A huge chunk of our students have other language backgrounds and we are severely underpaid, understaffed, overworked. And there's so much that our state leadership could be doing to actually lead in this moment. Um and that's not what's happening right now. I feel like it's similar to like I feel like arguments I'm getting into now where I'm like in the situation where I'm defending the FBI against attacks. <laughs> when it's, that's not the position I would like to be in. Right? <laughs> yeah. There are problems like yeah. in the way our federal government, um, you know, enforces laws and yeah. manages people. But on the other hand, like there are honest arguments to have and then there are not honest arguments to have. Mm-hmm. And I feel like mm-hmm. what is happening with TPS now is not all of us who've been dreaming about a way to sort of revolutionize and change TPS from within, this is not it. This is not yeah. going to make it better for any of the students inside TPS. Because yeah. one, there's no plan, right? Well, so. And it does make me wonder why specifically they're targeting TPS. There are other school mm-hmm. districts in Oklahoma with similar problems, mm-hmm. similar performance based on the metrics that are being used. Why do you think they're targeting Tulsa specifically? Man, I don't know. Um, I think a lot of people are making speculations And a lot of people, you know, might be making some sense, but I don't know. And I almost don't care why. What I care is that like every single night for, you know, the last like two, three weeks that this has really been top of people's mind, like every single night I have been on a call or in a meeting with students who are freaking out. Mm-hmm. who are freaking out students who have had the courage and the bravery to go to a, a uh, you know, TPS school board meeting and talk about what it is that their schools need. Right. They are desperately um, hoping for leadership from their local leaders, from their state leaders and are asking and are doing the thing and are bringing evidence and are bringing data. And then someone's coming down and saying, actually shut it all down and not, <laughs> not, listening in any way, not asking in any way for the involvement of the people who's like, this is like life or death stuff. You know what I mean? Like education is like schools are a place where we learn 
from people who might have more power than us how to empower ourselves, right? Like it's a place like building school buildings are a place for a distribution of power. Um, that's the way that I think about teaching my students, right? Like I know some things and now I want you to know them and and then like go and and run with it, right? Like so that one day you can you can lead this movement. And honestly, the students are leading this movement right now. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't really care about why or to speculate on why TPS is it, you know, GIST has beef with, I don't, I don't care about that. What I care is that like our students start school for me, they start school on Wednesday, uh, the rest TPS starts school on Thursday and they are like completely left in the dust. And again, I, I appreciate you coming on the week school starts to talk to us about this. <laughs> yeah. um, Sorry, I was late. <laughs> no, listen, like Chris and I have a, a very deep respect for teachers. We, mm-hmm. Our lives have been changed by amazing teachers we've had. Our lives have been changed by terrible teachers we've had. Mm-hmm. Like teach, teachers are important. Teachers should be mm-hmm. given more money and more resources. Like we are all in agreement on that. What drives me nuts about this is like there was there is no way to have a conversation about this in Oklahoma without one bringing up politics, two bringing up elections, and three bringing up the fact that the majority of students students who are not black or brown or poor who live in Tulsa do not go to TPS, mm. right? We are, we're in a situation where the people who actually could sway our leaders here don't send their kids to the schools where this is happening, where this problem is happening. They send their kids to Holland Hall and Bishop Kelly and or Monica they're, they're part of Tulsa that's in Union. Or yeah, or, or the, yeah, right? And so this is, it's, I don't want to get lost in the forest of how Tulsa is a, like, this problem is a microcosm for problems happening in other cities with this because we are here and we are living it. And so I'm going to pivot to the, for the people who are going to listen to this episode on Thursday, hopefully, God willing, mm-hmm. what can the, the day that most of TPS starts school, what can they do, whether they have kids in schools or not, what, what can we do mm-hmm. this week to help? Yeah. Um, I do want to say real quick about what you just mentioned. I think. I have been so just amazed by the way that so many people are coming out and are like, yo, what can I do? How can I help? Like, you know, I'll be, I'll run security at, at whatever, like I'll be there to support the kids. Like we had somebody from who lives in Shawnee make like 200 signs for our rally at the TPS board meeting in her living room. You know what I mean? Like, I think, (laughs) um, Tulsa can be a very, not like disunited. I don't know what the word is, right? Like a a fractured city in a lot of ways. And I think there's a lot of historical reasons for that. But I think a lot of people are uniting in a really beautiful way to show our state leadership, like this is not the way to go. So I do want to say that. Um, But yeah, so what can you do? A couple things uh, or many things, but um, the, the basics, right? Email your legislators. If you follow Protect TPS on Instagram or go to protecttps.com or protegetps.com in español, um, you can find a ton of information about this, like even more than what I just gave. A lot of frequently asked questions. There's even a form you can fill out to that automatically um, emails your legislators, your state board members. There is a petition. And absolutely, I mean, we've got thousands of signatures on there and we want to keep 
that growing, send it to your friends, like truly post it on your Instagram story, do all those things. A major event that's coming up on Saturday from five to seven, there's going to be a student-led town hall with members of the State Board of Education. So they'll be coming down to Tulsa. Uh, hopefully by the time this uh, episode airs, we'll know exactly who that will be and where. So we're still waiting on location. Um, but maybe you can put it in, in yeah. the notes. Or I something. can put it in the show notes. Yeah, so please do. Please do. Um, but yeah, so a major student-led town hall where we want students or I, I don't want anything. The students are <laughs> planning the whole thing. I'm just here to talk about it. But uh, the students have a sign up. If you are a TPS student, you can sign up to speak. If you're a TPS parent, educator, community member, come and support. But we, you know, the, the students are going to be running this and um, we will have a chance for the state board members to hear from students and also to sort of give their reflection. So the goal there is for our state leadership to really hear from the community in a way that maybe they haven't been given that chance so far for whatever reason. Um, other than that, the giant, giant date to really be thinking about is August 24th. So that is a week from when this episode airs. August 24th at 9.30 in the morning is the state board meeting, and they will be making their decision at that point. So truly anything before that that you can do to reach out to them very kindly and reasonably let them know how you're feeling about this, what you think right? Like all those things. Um, all of that is super helpful. Is that state board, are they elected or are they appointed? They are appointed by the governor. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's what I was worried about. Um, yeah. <laughs> but they are like, so many of them have educators in their family. So many of them have an education background or have spoken about how much they care about kids. One of them is a, like runs an early childhood center. So I know that they are uh, able to you know, see this for what it is. So, so every TPS school board meeting I've been to, which I think since I moved back here, I've been four. You have been at all four of those. Um, <laughs> yeah. and I think spoke at all of them too. <laughs> and I mean, if for our listeners, if you haven't gone to a TPS mm -hmm. school board meeting, you should because mm -hmm. it makes it a lot clearer what issues we are fighting over in this town and how it is amazing how again it's all about local politics and what local mm -hmm. politics can do to mess up local politics and. The students I've seen speak at those meetings, I'm just, I'm literally in tears every time because I'm like, these kids just want a good education. Mm -hmm. They're asking for it and they're getting uh, sometimes booed mm -hmm. by adults in the room. And I'm like, what is happening here? Why, why are those adults here? Mm -hmm. What do they care about exactly? I just want, I wanted to bring that up just because like we always, we're going from crisis to crisis and we're gathering around, you know, stopping a crisis from happening here, stopping a crisis from happening here. But if you are listening and you truly do care about the education system here in Tulsa, like become active in those meetings, meet the people who are talking there. Like you will find, you will find a rich tapestry of interesting Tulsa personalities and also get a clear sense of what the fight is really over. If you're like me, you might hear estate planning and go, ew, gross. You might think to yourself, I'm not sure why I'd bother with that. Estate planning is only for the uber-rich. Tallgrass begs to differ. Tallgrass founding attorneys Laurel and Riley think everyone should have an estate plan. They know estate planning seems untouchable to a lot of folks, like something you have to do inside a stuffy law firm of Stuffy McLawyer Pants Esquire.
But I promise you, Tallgrass is nothing like that. For one, they work out of their home so their clients can feel at home. They obsess, because they're nerds, over making clients feel like they belong and are supposed to be there. Also, their kids might make an appearance. They will take time to answer all of your questions, even the uncomfortable ones. They will work relentlessly to make sure your plan's exactly what you need to feel secure and at peace. So if you've been putting off planning for what's going to happen after you've gone, it's time for you to give Tallgrass a call at 918-770-8940 and start your plan today. Or visit their website at tallgrassestateplanning.com and schedule a free initial consultation. For free! It's right there on the website. And of course, there's more, because this is a podcast ad. If you tell them you're a Pod for Good listener, they're going to take 25% off their service fees. Just tell them Pod for Good sent you. Stop thinking estate planning isn't for you and give Tallgrass a call today at 918-770-8940 or on their website, which I'm not going to read out to you again. It's in our show notes. Thank you, Tallgrass. I don't, I've, I've been in a room with, I've been in this room actually, uh, with uh, Dr. Guest being interviewed for a Focus Black Oklahoma thing. And just from my, my brief quasi one-on-one time with her, I like whatever complaints we have about TPS, the person at the head seemed to seems to actually care about the education of children. Mm-hmm. Right. And we can disagree with her on what the best ways to do that and whatnot. But like, mm-hmm. she seems to deeply care about educating mm-hmm. children, which is what the point of a school district is. And I feel like this whole process has been removed from the fact of what's actually good for the students in TPS versus what's good for appearances, what's good for making light out of laws that have been passed and things that are being taught. And very, very rarely does the metrics of, even though the metrics themselves are flawed of how students are doing, that doesn't seem to be part of this at all. Mm -hmm. And so I guess like, can you help focus our listeners on when, let's say we are successful in this in this crisis mm-hmm. and TPS stays TPS and students can just go to school this year mm-hmm. and not have to worry about whether they're going to be bused to Broken Arrow or Sand Springs or Bixby uh, or Jinx. Please not Jinx. What can they do to make TPS stronger after TPS survives this crisis? Man, it's I think it's what I was saying, right? I'm seeing students rise up and that is the most beautiful <laughs> um part of all of this like students who may not have otherwise met they go to different schools maybe they had different backgrounds whatever like truly coming together to phone bank to plan this town hall right to email board member in the middle of their like orientation right like <laughs> uh like there's a kid today was at um booker t for her orientation on the side like emailing board members right like i think that the future and the present is in the hands of kids. That's what I always tell my students. You're not the future, you're the present. And my hope is that once we weather this storm, that enough students will have been a part of this, that like they will be the ones showing up to those board meetings, right? Like I am happy to be there and I have a lot to fight for in my job too. Um, but it is the best to see our students show people what they are capable of and the stuff that I see in the classroom, the stuff that I see even outside of the classroom. So I think that's the future. I do, um, hope that anybody who isn't 
our TPS leadership is watching very closely um, how hard these students and these community members are working to ensure that our district is safe from this takeover and that at the end of this, we can find ways to be more included in how decisions are made. So that's my hope. Um, I do think that we have a lot of work to do before we get to that point. If you are listening and you have a child in TPS, you have a neighbor in TPS, you yourself work in TPS, you, you think about TPS once, you are a part of this and need to be a part of this. Hit us up on Instagram. Um, go to a board meeting. Do um, truly anything to make your voice heard in this because we do have a long way to go. So obviously kids, parents, teachers are, are all critical voices in this. But uh, you obviously need the support of local leaders, business leaders, elected officials have you been able to have interactions with any of those groups to to try to get them involved in this fight? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I will say my role has not been very close in that, but I have seen a lot of business leaders and yeah, some local legislators just call out the very obvious and well-documented fact that a state t- takeover of a school district is bad for business. Mm-hmm. Um, so- I'll kind of leave it at that, but it is like well-documented in other places where that has happened. Um, There's also, speaking of data, no evidence that any state takeover has ever actually turned a school around um, performance-wise either. So, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Oklahoma often gets dinged anyways when Mm -hmm. from an economic development standpoint, trying to bring businesses in because of our underfunded Mm -hmm. schools. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine a business would say want to relocate to Tulsa if there was no school district. <laughs> yeah, seems like yeah. That, would that seems bad for worse. yeah, it seems, that bad. seems bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, exactly. Um, and you know, maybe this is a conversation for another time, but it worries me that we're investing in so many remote workers and not successfully bringing in actual, um, you know, businesses that can be local to this city. I think our students deserve to grow up in a city that is going to invest in them as laborers and as part of the workforce and as, you know, invest in their brains um, and not try to outsource. So I think we have a lot to do as a city and yeah, disempowering our public schools at this time um, in, in where we're at as a state is absolutely the wrong move. So let's, I want to just transition a little bit to some not world ending parts of this interview just for fun, (laughs) because you teach seventh grade geography. Yeah. And so I have some questions about that. Okay. Um, Jesse hates seventh graders. He told me. I do. He told me. I think seventh graders hate themselves. (laughs) No. Like, I, I mean, I just feel like middle school in general is bad. I just feel, I I feel bad for the students in it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a tough time, like emotionally. Hormonally, does this come from when you were a seventh grader right. or when you were uh... both? The, the, both come my time as a seventh grader, my time as a substitute teacher for seventh graders, and my interaction with seventh graders now. Huh. Um, but like geography, of all things, I think would be especially hard to teach ever, really. So I want to I want to ask you some questions, and hopefully these answers are fun. Um, so like w- when you say you teach seventh grade geography, what does that mean? Like, are you talking geography of the entire world? Are you mm-hmm. doing? Are you doing? Okay, so. World geography. Yes. All right. 
What is the hardest thing for seventh graders to remember about geography? How to spell Antarctica. Antarctica's hard. Antarctica. Antarctica. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about seventh graders. Did you know that um, preteens, like, you know, early middle school, um, are <laughs> considered to be going through the same level and magnitude of developmental transition as toddlers? Wow. Yeah. That explains a lot. Yeah. They yeah. are the closest, like, in, in That's that That's why they're sense. so fussy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. 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 I'm like, man, I don't even feel bad when I say y'all are acting like kindergartners. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, th- but yeah, that's, you know, what's weird is the, at least the the prime spots I found for being a substitute teacher was like fourth grade and then high school. Mm. And I think it's because like it's developmentally, those are two slower times. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, No, I'm here for the chaos. Oh, yeah. God, yeah, no. I'm here for it. Um. It's just as someone who needed a lot of patience as a seventh grader, I don't have any patience for them now. <laughs> um, all right, so spelling Antarctica. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, like, I feel like we had, we, it was for AP European history where we had to come in the first day with a, then we had to draw Blank a map. Blank map and, and yeah. put things in. Yeah, uh, which none of us studied for. Uh, oh, we didn't. You didn't. Michelle probably did. Um, we didn't know rivers. I mean, come on. Yeah, like mm. rivers in Europe. I can't, yep. Yeah. Mm. Some of them have very weird the names. Rhine. Yeah. Mm. The Rhine, yeah. Danube. Danube. The da- yeah. Danube. Yeah. Uh, at least I do know how to spell that. So, um, the Seine. Was that? Hello. The Seine. Yeah. Yep. Why do I know how to spell all the European rivers, but I don't know how to spell Antarctica? What does that say? Anyway. Um, okay. What? So what's number like two and three of the hardest things for them to remember or learn? I think number two is the difference between a city, a state, a country, a continent. So um, a lot of students will just be like, you know, the country I live in is Oklahoma or like Tulsa is mm. my state. You know, it's yeah. just like a kind of the basic. Yeah. Uh, but it is if you really think about it, like it takes a lot of sort of spatial awareness. And mm-hmm. if you have only ever grown up in Tulsa, for example, it's like, yeah, this is my world. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. so I actually start off uh, my year always teaching them, like having them learn the arterial streets of Tulsa and really engage with the map of Tulsa so that then it can be like, okay, cool. So that's actually a speck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But at least you like feel, you know, grounded in some way. The The third hardest I think is just that skill of um, knowing that there are other people in the world and even in this classroom, right? Again, like seventh graders are in that time, like, when you when you track child development, right? There's like the stage where, you, like, kids are very um, self centered. Like, I, I, it's me, right? It's me, my mom, and then, or you know, my my parent, and then like the world, and they sort of go through that, and then they come back into themselves in middle school. So, I literally like have days where I'm training them how to talk to another human being, like turn. 90 degrees look at your partner in their eyes they are going to speak now you have 10 seconds to say like whatever you know and then like (laughs) now repeat it back to them what did they say oh you didn't hear it okay we're going to do that again you know um so it's like it's not even like oh my god like we're engaging with different cultures and like that's hard that's not like that hard right like they're engaging with different cultures all the time like they really are amazing at um feeling a lot of empathy and you know, curiosity about mm-hmm. people who are different from them, but it's the like awareness that there are other people, period, 
um, <laughs> you know, outside of like literally them mm-hmm. is just really funny because um, they can be very empathetic to people who are very far away. And then like the kid next to them, they're like, I can't stand them. <laughs> or like, I didn't even know you were there. I'm like all sprawled out. I'm like, bro, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a weird um, triangulation that happens with the like the wideness of your empathy circle when you're that age where like people you don't know and have no connection to you mm-hmm. can feel for. But like the person who annoys you with their pencil tapping, you yeah. hate with the passion of a thousand suns. <laughs> and I, like, yeah. I, you get that and that, that makes sense at the time. Mm-hmm. But like. The ability to understand why that is is something that comes later, and that's, yeah. that's very interesting to me. So, how do they handle all the like weird situations? Do you get into them, like how Australia is a country and a mm. continent, and Vatican City is somehow also a country? Do you get into any of those weird so exceptions? Much. <laughs> so much. So, we actually have a world famous geography bowl every year of sixth nice. versus seventh grade. Um, so far, seventh grade has won every time. Um, and it's because I'm their coach, you yeah. know? But um, no, we like, it's like crash course on, we kind of rotate every year. It's just like US geography one year and then world geography the next year. So, you know, the sixth graders don't have a disadvantage, but um, yeah, it's like from day one, it's Oceania. It's not Australia. We're not, we're not doing this. Like we're going to call it what it is um, <laughs> because otherwise we're going to all get really confused and yeah, like city states. I think what's amazing is like, I I don't find it to be a huge priority for students to know like every country, right? Like I'm not giving them a blank map. I'm giving them a blank map with like 10 that they need to know, but I'm not going to do the like, you need to know everything. Because um, I think it's more important to kind of teach them the skill of how to find that information mm-hmm. if you need it. Uh, but there are kids who will like by November, they're like, Ms. Browse give me give me like a blank map and they'll name every single country and they can do capitals by march you know and they're just like outdo me i'm like isn't that a city state or i just found out i just found out that Liechtenstein is not a city state i thought it was it's not it's just a really small country Hmm. i didn't know that small countries are confusing yeah so yeah so anyway yes we we get into it and they like out geography me uh very often (laughs) yeah i i think and i still have a like what we call things is a very important part of like how we view the world. And what really sort of broke my brain as a child was like the name I am given for what a country is called is not what those people in that country call their mm-hmm. country. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And like, it's it's still just weird to think about. Like yeah. do you get into that at all? Or you're just like this, this is what this country is called in English. Man, that's a really good point. I think we kind of get into it. So um, I'm from Brazil. That's where I was born. That's where my family's from. And in Brazil, um, it's pronounced Brasil and it's spelled with an S. And so I will like kind of go back and forth on whether I write it with an S or a Z. And just from my, like, I just forget. And the kids are like, what is the real one? I'm like, man, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Because also the word Brazil came from the Portuguese and they, you know, colonized us. So is that even a real, you know, so we, yeah. we <laughs> yeah. become kind of like, it's like, okay, where, what do words mean? You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, you just gave me an idea. Maybe I could kind of embed some of that into what mm-hmm. we do this year more intentionally. Cause they do have questions about that. Or like a lot of kids are like, yeah, Viva Mexico, you know? And then we go to like write it and it's spelled the same, but pronounced differently. So. Yeah, I just mean like words and definitions are important, but then when you realize that those words and definitions only make sense in the mm-hmm. language we are currently speaking and not in the language they speak in that country, you're like, it It still is, it's a very, yeah. it's a reminder that the world is a large place and yeah. mm-hmm. 
And uh, what we call something is not necessarily what it's actually called by those who live there. Yeah, um, and a lot of times the names of those countries will be like spelled in English phonetically for us. So it's not even like, it's like somebody was like, well, you know, all these white people over here aren't going to know what that means. So let me just like spell it out real quick. Mm -hmm. um, I just, I, yeah. And, and then we're like left with that, but there's like communities with histories and mm -hmm. cultures that are doing a completely different thing. And yeah, who are we? Anyway. Yeah. And, and it's fascinating because even with, uh, countries that speak the same language but different dialects mm -hmm. they may have different names <laughs> yeah. for, for yeah. each other's countries yeah. as well so yeah. it's it is it is a fascinating subject well yeah i mean i was just reading a new york times article about like the political situation in spain and how like the parties that are gonna have to combine to like it's a parliamentary system so you know mm -hmm. they, it's a, one of those weird combination ones and like i forgot about the the freedom movement that was happening and for part of Spain. And I'm like, they call themselves oh, a completely yeah. different name. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, like that's, it's, it's crazy that we, we put labels on an entire country and then forget about the internal people who live in that country, who have their own histories and cultures that sometimes even without white people interfering with it, like have conflict with each other. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know, like we, we grew up, during elementary school, like the Cold War ended, right? And the Soviet Union dissolved. But our maps didn't change for a good yeah. five to six years. Yeah. And so it was just the Soviet Union on maps. And we didn't, we knew that there were like 12 countries there now, but like we didn't know where their lines were because mm -hmm. we didn't get new maps, right? Yeah. It, and so like it was just like, okay, they don't call themselves that now. The people there probably never wanted to call themselves that in the first place. Right. But we don't know what the name is or how to spell it or where the lines are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My first unit with the kids in like overall, other than, teaching them about Tulsa is called maps as storytellers and like how do maps tell stories about a place and how are those stories inevitably incomplete right um so we get into map projections y'all know about map projections. oh yeah oh, yeah. yeah it's one of my my uh, favorite episodes of the west wing oh, the west wing yeah, yeah. Yep. man Love it. once i found out i was teaching geography the amount of people texting me that like i'm like first of all i've seen the west wing like 10 times yeah, yeah. um but yeah, so we get into that. I don't think we'll have time this year, which I'm really, it's going to be mm -hmm. my first year ever not teaching it. But the kids' minds are like blown. They're like, wait, you know, it can be upside down or it can be like, uh, you know, some crazy shape. And I, I have them debate like, which one <clears throat> should we have in our classroom? And for people who don't know, you know, it is mathematically impossible for a sphere to be flattened into a rectangle without distorting it. So pretty much every map that we grew up with is called the Mercator projection, mm -hmm. which um, makes the poles, Ooh. yeah, makes the yeah. poles look a lot bigger. For example, Greenland um, looks about the same size as Africa in your regular classroom map, including Google Maps. Google Maps is a Mercator projection, uh, when actually Greenland is 13 times smaller than Africa. Um, so there's a whole lot of conversations there to be had. But then there's also like even a map, you know, that's totally zoomed in, right? Like of Tulsa, you know, you can pretty solidly say like, no matter what projection, if you get small enough, like it's going to be like relatively accurate. Uh, so then what should be included in a map of Tulsa, right? Like what information is like, okay, we got the street map, but even on Google maps, you got the satellite view. What is, what stories are, are in that, right? What story can you tell about Oklahoma from a, a physical map, a topographical map or whatever. So we get into that and it's always so much fun. The kids, um, their final project is to make a map of Tulsa, uh, using 
right? Like to tell a story of Tulsa using a map. So what's, what is important to you about Tulsa? And they pick like something. Um, so, so they could do like a, a map of restaurants correct. if that was something they really yes. did, that sort of thing. Um, so sometimes it'll be really deep, right? We're still in the beginning of the year, so we're kind of getting comfortable with like deeper thought. But um, like I had a, a couple of students a few years ago who like live and were raised in North Tulsa. And so they did a map that showed like all the amazing like parts of North Tulsa, the zoo, the parks, like where they grew up, all that, like the stuff that's like super, super important to their uh, understanding and like upbringing in North Tulsa overlaid with like equality indicators, right? Like food deserts and poverty levels and things like that. And they wrote up like a, uh, like a two page essay, like 15 times longer than I asked them to just kind of explaining <laughs> that. And then that same year I had a group of kids who made a map, um, where they called every McDonald's in town and asked if the ice cream machine was working. Yeah. <laughs> and then they coded it like red and green. Incredible. You know what I mean? Incredible. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So kids are remarkable. Um, yeah. and they will, they will see things that you won't. Mm -hmm. And I love it. I forgot about the McDonald's ice cream, uh, crisis. I don't think it's a crime. You know. It is. No, it, it is. is. It is a crisis. Yes, you know right. what it is, right? You know why they don't work? Why don't they work? Because they're really hard to clean. And obviously workers are underpaid, overworked. So a lot of time it's like there's some kind of system where they have to clean it either every time or like every few times, like way too often. Uh, and they just like don't get to it or don't prioritize it. And I wouldn't either. Mm -hmm. So um, it's often not that it's not working. It's just hasn't been cleaned. Ah, um, interesting. So yeah. it's really a map of the most overworked McDonald's. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. 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 Well, and I, I I believe I remember reading like the company that makes them those machines is no longer in business, and so that's also a problem. Oh. Um, but McDonald's just won't change machines, so because that would cost a lot of money, and you know. Uh, I heard they don't have a lot of money, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, McDonald's are really suffering these days. Yeah. yeah. Um, we got to help them out. Mm. I love that. I, I love. I wish we had been challenged as middle schoolers to come up with a fun thing for like that, because like I felt like our at least ge geographical education was very sort of top down. Like these are what these are these are what these things are. Remember them for the mm -hmm. test, not mm -hmm. like thinking about what stories they were trying to tell us and mm -hmm. whatnot. Um, yeah, it was very much like okay, you have to learn every state capital. Yeah, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it's like uh, when I would ask like why the biggest city in states aren't the state capital, the teacher would be like, "We'll get into that later," and then we never get to it. Mm -hmm. And like I know now, but um, you know, what what is the answer? Well, the answer is like the what becomes a state capital happens at a particular time That's in a true. particular way. And so like the reason why Albany, like for instance, the, yeah. ste the seal being stolen in the from, for, the yeah, night, stealing from Guthrie to Oklahoma city. Uh, oh. yeah. yeah. I don't know if you knew about that. Yeah. Guthrie, yeah, yeah. Guthrie yeah. was the original state capital of Oklahoma. Yeah. But literally, Oklahoma City stole the, the thing, the state and like seal. Wh yeah, wherever the seal is, that's the capital. So at the time, yeah, yeah the time, yeah. Obviously, there are laws now, but um, that's crazy. Yeah, but like you know, like, like the if someone ever does ask me that question, I'm like, well, the reason why New York City is not the capital of New York is because the people of the state of New York wanted a power base that was not New York City, and so they put they literally picked a city on the complete other side of the state. Mm -hmm. Right. And that is why Albany is the capital. Like every state has its own story for why its capital is usually not the biggest city in the state. Oh my God. So, yeah. I might need to teach yeah, some it's, kids about it's, that. It's, it's a weird, it's, it's a, it sort of goes back to the, I would say one of the original fights of the United States is like cosmopolitan versus rural. Yeah. And it, that, that plays out in every state in a different way. So, That's true. anyway, fun little, fun little fact for you there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you got to learn something about, uh, 
state of Oklahoma. Thank so there you go. You. Oh yeah, Guthrie's still mad about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, all right. So you are a teacher, and you start school in a couple of days. So we're going to let you go. But mm-hmm. I, I just want to thank you for talking to yes, us about you. this. And hopefully, our listeners will one come to that thing on Saturday, and two just try to be more aware of what's happening uh, in our sort of local politics as well as sort of our local education system. So because yeah. uh, an educated populace is good for all of us. I don't know how many times I have to say that, but it's true. Yeah. So I think yeah. a certain state superintendent may disagree with you on that. No. <laughs> he is welcome to come on here and challenge me on that. I don't think he will. I don't think um, he likes being challenged. No, he does not. So sorry. I, it, you know what bothers me the most? I'm just going to say this and then we'll end it. The fact that he was a history teacher angers me the most as someone who is a trained historian. Like, I'm so angry at him for giving historians a bad name. History teachers, especially, a bad name. Mm-hmm. We had some great history teachers. And like mm. they would mop the floor with him. Mm. So, talk, looking at you, Mr. Shaddix, uh, <laughs> wherever you are. Um, but Anna, thank you yeah, thank so you. much for joining us. And like, good luck both with this and with you know just teaching uh, teaching large babies. Thank you. <laughs> yes, large toddlers. Yeah, large toddlers. Large toddlers. Yeah. That really does explain my issue with seventh graders. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Yikes. Settle down. Oh, I love them. I yeah. love them so oh, much. Well, I'm glad somebody does. Yeah, for sure. Pot for good, very anti-seventh grade. No. Um, no! Still, still. You, you, no, you you have pointed out to me my own, like, where my own biases are coming from and the reason why seventh graders are so challenging. Mm-hmm. But there's a there's a goodness in that challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they are developing very rapidly. And so I think it's just like, Again, thinking about them at their worst is not the way you should think about them. Mm-mm. So they're just in a period of transition, yeah. and they'll they'll teach you more about yourself than yeah. anybody else. I, yeah. I still love John Mulaney's bit where he said uh, seventh graders are mean, but in an accurate way. Yes, mm. that, that's the difference. Wow, yes. mm-hmm. I'm glad they don't have the ability to make up lies about you and be mean <laughs> about those because that'd be even worse. The, yeah. that's what high school's for. Yeah, so, that's what I was gonna say. All right, yeah. well. Thank you so Thank much. You uh, this was great. And I hope, I hope one, we get through this. And two, that you have a great year teaching them about uh, how to spell Antarctica. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you so and much. And just showing that one clip from the West Wing episode where they flipped the map over, which still yeah. blows my brain up yeah. all the time. I'm just like, great. yeah, why it could, it, there's no reason it can't be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Space is three dimensional. Yeah. So anyway, uh, thank you again so much. Yeah. Thank you. For sure. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to our episode with Anna. Please go to protecttps.com, sign up for their email list, keep watch of their Instagram page, and keep watch on Facebook for announcements about, one, the rally this Saturday, and keeping up to date with what's happening leading up to August 24th. Thank you all for listening. <laughs> <laughs>